people come up to me you know like it was like it was like fight club or old school or something they come up to me and like I heard you're starting a church I mean, not as cool as fight club obviously but I heard you start starting church I want in you know like like what, what do I need to do I mean I want in I want to I want to be a part of something like that and you know so I'm like I don't know what you're talking about you know and um and so there's all this talk that was going on and then one day um I'm not sure uh whose idea it was but somebody was like look we're doing a whole lot of talking and not, a, not a, enough praying. And so, um, so what we did was we took time between the, the fall semester and the spring semester, and we were like, look, we're going to take that. It's about a month, and um, we're just going to pray about what we're supposed to do. And so we pitched it out there, and anybody involved in the ring who wanted to take part in it. And uh, we said, we're going to take that month, and we're going to pray, and we're going to study uh, the scriptures, and we're going to study the New Testament church, and we're going we're gonna to pray about what God wants us to do. At the end of those, uh, of those 30 days, we're going um, to have a meeting, and we're going to see if God put us on the same page or not. And um, so we called it 30 Days of Prayer because we're so good at coming up with names, and um, just call it what it is. And so, um, and there was no, like, there was no direction at all. It was like, on th- this date is the meeting. You get into the Word, buy commentaries, whatever you want, go Talk to pastors, go do whatever you want for 30 days. The only rule is that you can't talk to each other about it. And um, so we didn't talk to each other about it. And everybody went and got journals and all this kind of stuff. We got all like gung-ho or whatever. And, uh, and at, at the end of that time, we had this meeting. We all sat around this room. And um, it was creepy how, um, how lined up we were. And there were probably 30, 40 of us or whatever crammed into... Jake Rush's living room on Triple B, and uh, it was just weird how, how we, we saw so many of the same things happen, uh, a time of focused prayer and study of the Word, and not without influence from all these other people, and we all show up, and we're like, this is what I got, and everybody's like, me too, me too, me too, and, um, and so that put us on a course that um, would ultimately lead to us planning a church, but we knew it would be down the road, and I, I won't get into all, all what happened at that meeting. But the next year, you know, about, you know, in October, November, we were like, hey, we're going to do that again. We're like, well, we're not really trying to, like, find out anything necessarily, but there was something about it that was so focused, you know, and it was, it was so, um, it just had a a way of, of realigning us with God's heart for his, his church and then for what we were doing and then with one another. And, and so we're like, we'd be stupid to not do it again. And so that just became um, the way that we, that's what we did between semesters um, every year. And so since we've become a church, we've kind of pushed it back because what we've found out is that, um, you know, life kind of stops at the holiday time. And so like people were praying hardcore for like a week and then like not doing anything for two or three weeks and like trying to catch up, you know, guilt prayer on the back end and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And so... Um, what we've decided to do um, this year, and it's something we've done ever since then, is we just decided we would wait until um, like life kind of started back up and routines got back in, and, um, and just to make this a part of, of how, um, how we start off the new year. And so tomorrow uh, begins that for us. 
And so um, if you have never participated in the 30 days of prayer before, you're basically stepping into a very important part of our history and a very important part of, of our DNA. Um, and so tonight I'm going to talk about it a little bit, um, or actually a lot. Um, and and my, my hope is not at all to have a, a prayer pepper alley tonight so that everybody's all excited about starting it tomorrow or whatever. I, I want us to, to begin with a foundation to build on that we can see biblically why, why this 30 days is, um, is important, what can happen, why it's necessary for us, um, and also give us a vision for what the next month can look like. And um, I want us to joyfully step into that uh, tomorrow. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be uh, all over the place. But we're starting Mark 11. So if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, Mark chapter 11 has one of those just awesome Jesus stories. Uh, those just moments where you're like, D- can Jesus do that and get away with it? And the answer is yes, um, he can and he did. Um, Jesus, um, is when he cleanses the temple, um, Jesus has been, um, he's, he's a, a, a known person by this point. Um, this is not, uh, he's not this new stranger on the, he's not a stranger on the scene. People have, have heard of him, um, not necessarily because he was like really handsome and cool and funny and could do like card tricks or anything. Like he was like healing people. Restoring sight to the blind, raising people from the dead, you know, uh, doing those kinds of things. And so he became known for the supernatural displays of God's power. Um, and so he was not a celebrity in that, you know, for all these other reasons. He was just like, he had this reputation of this guy can do things that only, only God can do. And so he goes to the temple, and uh, we're in Mark 11, starting in verse 15. So he's with his disciples, and it says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Okay? So the temple was supposed to be a place of worship, and then basically you had all these merchants who had set up on, on the courtyard, you know, and, and they were, were out there, and they were ripping people off, and they were using the fact that this is like a traffic area, one, you know, to make money. Um, they were selling things that people would, would take into sacrifice, and so they were basically making a profit off of something holy, um, which apparently is not a good idea if you're thinking about doing that. Um, and so, uh, so Jesus, he drives those people out, uh, he turns the tables over, um, even if you sold pigeons. And uh, verse 16 says, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So he takes the bull by the horns, controls some things, and this is what he says. And he was teaching them, which is beautiful. He doesn't just go in and like just wreck everything and then storm out. Like he uses this as a teachable moment for him to to say, you know, this is important that you know why I just did that. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. It says, my house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a, a den of robbers. He's basically saying, 
Um, you have, have made this place something it was never intended to be. And he's bringing them back to that. He's quoting from Isaiah. Now, this is not necessarily a passage about the church house, okay, about the building, um, which, because, uh, you know, the church is not a building, church is people. Um, and, and, and what he's essentially getting down to is that, that when, the, when God's people come together, prayer is what they are about. And I, I like to have, a, uh, and I believe that Scripture teaches this, uh, a very broad definition of what prayer is. That prayer is not necessarily only every head bowed, every eye closed, you know, all that kind of stuff. That prayer is, is any, anything that communicates to God His, his worth, um, that anything, any, any message we intentionally convey to God is prayer. That's what John Piper says. And I, I like that because that means that, that prayer is, it is when we tell Him, it is also when we sing to Him, it is also when we are obedient, it's also when we love our neighbor because Jesus says that's just like loving me. And so all these things are ways that, that we pray. So Jesus says, my house is to be a house of prayer and you have made it something else. And that's such a relevant message, isn't it? Because uh, in America, I mean, we have churches that are, um, are powerful in ways that the church was never meant to be powerful. Never meant to be politically powerful. You know, never meant to, to, have, uh, to have like financial power, you know. But yet that's what we see a lot of. But the, the weird part is that is the more power that was, is gained by the church in that direction, the very things we were meant to be powerful in, all, like that power is diminished. It's like the more power there, that happens politically and all that kind of stuff, well then like where, where are the miracles? You know, where are, where's the, the work of the Spirit? That's supposed to be what we're known for and the power for. That's what Jesus was known for. Um, and so in, in, a, in a country where... You know, churches have, you know, workout rooms and all this, you know, rock climbing walls and rows of PlayStations and all this stuff. Um, it's, it's very, very, very important that we not get away from being a house of prayer, being a, a called together community that first and foremost is connecting and communicating with the Father. And if God leads this church or any other church one day, and says, like, hey, we, we want to reach our teenagers, and so we're going to build something that's going to attract people so we can reach them. That's cool, as long as that is like a prayer-based decision and not a, like, well, we got, like, $8 trillion in our account. Let's build something cool, you know. And so don't, I, I didn't, like, attack any church or anything, okay? So don't go quote me. Um, so Jesus says, um, Jesus says it's to be a house of prayer, and obviously human nature um, would, would push us to make it something else. And so when we talk about doing, um, doing 30 days of prayer, of a focused time of prayer for ourselves and for our church, this is one way that we return to that fundamental, like, fundamental piece of identity that's supposed to be what this collected group is about. So it's not just a program, it's not just something that we do because we've done it every year for a couple years, or because hey, it's really cool or whatever. Like this is, this is, is a, it's a form of discipline that keeps us from veering off the path and then six, seven, 10, 15 years down the road 
having to like bring things back. Man, we've strayed off so far. If we've veered in any direction, 30 days has a way of bringing us back to where we need to be corporately. Now, during that, that first 30 days of prayer, um, when we sat her in that living room, and we were, we were just kind of just talking about the things that we learned, and, and most of us spent a good amount of time in the book of Acts, reading very slowly, um, reading lots of commentaries, reading, reading very prayerfully, not trying to read the whole Bible in a week or anything crazy like that. Um, and something that, that we picked up on is that all throughout the book of Acts, um, you have these like, just amazing things that are happening. And, and these, these moments, and that's why like, there's this push about we want to be a New Testament church. You know, we want we to live out the book of Acts. You know, Acts 29, that's, that's, you know, there, there's, it goes up to 28. We want to be the 29th chapter of Acts. You know? and, and that's all absolutely that's awesome. Every single time there's one of those things where you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that that happened. That must have been so awesome. A part of that was um, the fact that they were praying. Like every single time something phenomenal happens and you're like, wow, that's so awesome, it, prayer is a part of that. So the acts of God among them and prayer are, are seen together. And I'm just going to throw a bunch of these scriptures up there, and I, I, don't, I don't feel like flipping. So um, let me just, I just want to show you what I'm talking about. Acts 1.14, um, this is before Pentecost. Uh, there's 120 of them that are gathered together. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with, with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. We know this, there's 120 of them that are gathered together. Jesus has gone up into the sky. They have no idea what's going on. All they know is Jesus said to pray, and so they go and they pray. And then the next thing that happens is the Spirit of God shows up, and the world's never been the same since. In 2.42, this is after the Spirit has come, uh, there's 3,000 of them, according, if, you read the, if you read it literally, 3,000 uh, are devoted, the, devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So 3,000 brand new believers were like, we're going to devote ourselves to these things. In 424, um, after Peter and John are released from prison, um, this is what it says, and when they heard it, which is when they heard about them being released, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. And they go on and they have this big prayer. So after they've been praying for their release and when it happens, what do they do? They just keep on praying. Um, when, in 431, uh, they, in the face of persecution, they prayed for boldness. Um, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Um, and so they go into this prayer time after this release, and they're all they just, and, and what do they pray for? Their very lives were at stake, and what are they praying for? They're asking God for boldness. In the face of persecution, that's what they, they would, they weren't like, God, keep us safe. God, help me to not get hurt. They're like, God, give me some boldness. Like, I don't want to be a wuss um, anymore. Um, in 6, six they prayed uh, for, uh, to ordain deacons. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. Um, this is, uh, well, I won't get into that. Just know that they did that. Um, in 9-11, um, they, uh, this, is, this is how they found uh, the apostle Paul, who used to be called Saul. And the Lord said to them, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. 
So they go and they find the, the guy who writes the, almost basically the rest of the New Testament, um, the great missionary Paul, and they go and they find him. And what is he doing? He's praying. He hadn't even known Jesus for like 18 seconds, and the dude is, is praying. Um, and that's when they meet him. Um, in 12.5, uh, the church is praying for Peter's release. So, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So they're, when their leaders is in jail, and what are they doing? Are they having a protest? Are they making signs? Are they coming up with car bombs? No, they are praying that he be released. There were no car bombs, I'm aware. Um, 13.3, they ordain uh, their missionaries. After fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. It's Paul and Barnabas as they sent them out. Um, fasting and prayer, this was, a, this was the way that, that they lived. You, we see that Paul goes on... Um, in every letter, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, both Thessalonians, he, he writes out prayers for them, and he tells them to be praying for each other. When we, you look at the New Testament church, I mean, they, they prayed like their lives depended on it. One, in a, because it kind of did, because of persecution, but also, like, I mean, that, that is the, the connecting point for the activity and the power of God at work among them. You don't separate um, the miracles of God and the change and the growth that happened in, that, in the church. You don't separate that from prayer. Those things are always found together. Every single time in the Word of God, those things are together. When you, when you look historically at the church, um, when the church is praying, the church is effective. That's when there's growth. That's when there's, there's personal growth. That is when um, like people are added to the church. People are coming to know Christ. And, and, and that is when the church is, is, is effective in their cities and they're reaching those who don't know him. And they're taking care of the poor and the widows and the orphans and they're doing all those things. Like That's when you have it. When the church is praying, the church is effective. And on the, the other end of the spectrum, when the church is not praying, the church is ineffective. And you can, you can study church history, and it is, there is no more plain truth historically than that. You take the prayers out of a church, you watch the effectiveness completely taper off. And, and you and I, like if you're a Christian and you're in this room, you know that that is true from your own experience. I know you do. Because in the times when you are struggling and life is, life is, is hard, and, and your relationship with God is not where it needs to be, and you are not, um, you are not connecting to Him consistently, and you are not communicating those things to Him and conveying those messages to God, when you are not doing that, you know it. And then there are times when life gets hard and things are difficult, and when we are conveying those things, it's a completely different experience. That's when you watch people walk through the most difficult days imaginable, and they're like, I have this weird peace. I can't really explain it. It's like, because that's because you're, you're connecting to the Lord, and that peace is flowing into your life. And when people come to you, and they're like, they're like mad about life, and this, and this, and this, and their whole attitude is, is all bad, and, and people are just falling apart. Um, as a pastor, if I look at them and I say, tell me, tell me how much you've been praying about this. Without fail, they're always like, oh, I haven't been. I haven't been. And really, I don't really have to say anything else because, because we know. 
doesn't mean that it's always easy you know, to correct and it's, it's easy to, to pray. But, but the, the truth of, um, of that reality is, is known to all of us. And everything that we want to see this church become is going to happen if we're praying. And we can have the, the most um, honorable hopes and dreams and and, and we can, can work hard, and we can just do all this stuff as a church, but if we're not praying, there's no power in it. We need that enduring love that we sang about. We need that, in, that enduring goodness. And prayer is how we connect to that. And so if we look, we look at the book of Acts, and we see these... We see the effectiveness and the growth, spiritual and in every other way. We see that growth and we see prayer. We have to take that principle and we have to put it into this church. We have to take that and we have to put it into our lives. Which sometimes it's easier said than done, I know. And so when we look at the next month that's ahead of us, that's, that's what we're trying to do. And not saying, all right, 30 days, and then we're out, we don't have to pray for a while, whatever. I mean, the goal is that, that this would just be, this would be a part, natural part of how we exist. Connecting to God and interceding for one another and for our church, that would be a natural part of things. But I know it's not. I know that it's not for me. I know that I'm not faithful to, to pray for this body, and I'm a stinking pastor. I mean, you'd think if anybody was praying, it would be me. But I know, I know how hard it is, and I know that it's a discipline issue. And so we're all in this boat together. And... You know, last week we talked about um, being holy because He is holy. And so we talked about preparing our minds for action and, and um, not um, getting caught up in the things that, were, that defined us when we were, were um, um, ignorant of what Jesus does, but we throw our hope way down the road on, on, onto Him. And we talked about all this stuff and about imitating Him and everything. And, and, and I said, everything that we want to see happen in our church is, will happen when we are pursuing the holiness of God. When we are wanting our lives to look just like His life. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, everything. And we want that holiness. And so this past week, the, um, the elders met on Wednesday at my house. And we, we took that, that passage from 1 Peter. And we just, I was just like, I was like, Let's just talk about these verses. Like, we always start off in, in the Word, so that, sometimes I'll have, like, questions I'll ask them or whatever, kind of get some discussion going. But I was like, let's just talk about this. And we sat there for, like, an hour and 15 minutes, I think, just talking about those couple of verses and picking one word out and looking at other translations. And it was, it was awesome. And one of, the, one of the things that became so evident to, to me um, is that when it comes to that, that holiness, you know, like I want, like I want to be... I do. I want to be holy. Like, I want my life to look just like his life. I want that perfection. I want that purity. I want that, um, that setting aside for his, like, designated for him. Like, I want all that stuff. But I want it to be um, given to me in a list of how that needs to happen. I want someone to tell me, okay, just do this and do this and do this and don't do this or this or this. Definitely, definitely not this. And then you have it. Like I want to go online and fill out a survey and print out this thing that says, this is how holiness looks in your life. 
But the heartbreaking thing is that, you know what, it does not work like that. As much as I want it to work like that, it doesn't work like that. The way that it works is that I come before the Father and I convey to Him my desire to be just like Him. And, and I bring those thoughts and I bring my tendencies and I bring everything to Him and I convey that to Him and I say, I need you to tell me. And then He communicates to me what that needs to look like. And He strengthens me and He empowers me to do that. That is how we live those things out. It does not happen apart from prayer. But the thing is, in my personality, I don't want to pray about it. I just want you to tell me. I just want you to tell me. Give me a verse. I was like, well, there's lots of verses. But it's not going to happen apart from connecting to Him. And so what we talked about tonight really connects to last week so perfectly because all this, everything that we want to see our lives become, we pursue holiness. The way that we do that begins with prayer. And that's when we see that growth and that effectiveness in our own lives. And so last week and this week are not two separate things. It's one big blob that you just cut down the middle and put it into two Sundays because these things go together. That if our church, our church is not going to be able to pursue holiness unless we are praying for that. Your life, you will not be able to pursue holiness unless you are praying for that. And I know, I know like I already like I'm in the, the club of people who carry the like I don't pray enough like guilt monkey. I don't know. It's like I started the sentence and I was like, I don't know how to get out of it. Um, <laughs> do you know, like, I mean, we all, like, everybody's like, ah, who doesn't pray enough? Me. <laughs> we all know that. We all do that. And I've certainly been in a, in a place, um, definitely the first of every year, but often throughout times throughout the year, I'm like, I, just, I really just want, I just want to pray more. I want to be driven for it. I want, to, I want that to be like oxygen to me, you know? And I think it's a part of my problem is that, and maybe, maybe you're just kind of the same way, is that prayer has kind of been like a task, you know, like it's been a, um, uh, a thing that you do. And that's even like been put onto the list that I want so badly, you know. First one, okay, pray. Okay, well, you know, you pray and it's like, well, not holy. Okay, what next? Um, but prayer is, prayer is not, it's not a task. You know, it's not a, a fix-all. It's not, you know, whatever. Turn, turn to John 15. Um, this is a passage of Scripture that we're going to be um, uh, studying this uh, during the 30 days. And I'll talk about that in, in just a minute. Um, maybe, that, maybe this will help. John 15 is one of the most... Um, I think one of the most powerful teachings that Jesus gave. Um, and I think if you take part in the 30 days of prayer, I think you're going to be blown away um, with the way that Andrew Murray um, picks apart these verses and the depth with which he uh, communicates some things. Um, that's the book that we're going to read together. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, let's just look at the first five verses in 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I'm the vine. Uh, sorry, he says, I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes 
that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, uh, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If, if prayer is a task, if it's something on our to-do list, then we're missing, we're missing it. If Jesus is the, is the true vine, like he says, and we are the branches, um, and I, I've talked about this before, and, and I'm probably going to talk about it till I die, um, the, the way that a branch is nourished comes from the root, comes from the vine, from the trunk of the, the deal. If, over here at Highland Coffees, they have this like, trellis kind of deal. And I was sitting there the other day, and it's like just, just covered with these vines, you know, and I was like, I mean, I've been there six million times this week, and um, like, I was like, how have I never noticed this before? And so I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, this is awesome, you know, about to read, read The True Vine by Andrew Murray, and there's this vine here, and it's like, oh, Jesus is here. And so, uh, and so I was looking at it, and, and I was trying to like find out like where, like if there's like a pot up there, and it all grew out or whatever, and they have these like big, like crazy, like vine trunks that come down and it's like coming out of the ground it's like all like this goes up the thing and then it's like this all this beautiful like green it's awesome and so I was sitting there I was looking at it and I was like there's Jesus and there's us and everything that's up there all that green all that that beautiful it's just thick and it's lush and all the fruit that's up there um not like oranges and stuff but like you know um everything that's up there that vine right there is supplying all of the water and all of the nutrients and everything that is needed up there for that to thrive. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is us conveying things to God, and, and, and by doing that, we connect to His life source. It is, it is a joining of, of us to the vine, and His life flows into us. His peace flows into us. His love flows into us. And, and that is that is why pursuing holiness and prayer are so closely joined together. Because when we pursue holiness, the love that you have for other people is a holy love. The joy that you walk the streets of Baton Rouge with is a holy joy. It's not manufactured. It's not forced. Um, the, the freedom from addictions that, that we all have, it comes from a place of, of holiness, and so that is being purified and being worked out of us. It's not um, a, a self-discipline issue. We're like, yeah, well, I quit doing that for a couple of days. No, no, it's flowing from the trunk into the branches. And that's what prayer is. It is us, it's connecting. It's life. His life flowing directly into our lives. When we are not praying, that life is not flowing into us. When we are praying, it is flowing into us. It is absolutely that simple. It's deep, but it is simple. And so the 30 days of prayer, I mean, you start thinking about it. You get a church full of people that for 30 days are saying, look, I'm going to devote myself to praying for this body. I mean, think about, what, think about what happens. Think about the potential of what the next month holds. My life was forever changed 
in from the middle of December 99 to the middle of January in 2000 because of those 30 days that were spent. I'll never be the same because of that. And every year since then, something else God has reshaped and reformed. And, and I'm not saying, look at me, I'm perfect, and I've overcome all this stuff. I've come, come a long way, and I have a long way to go. And I know that 30 days is not the solution to it. Jesus is the solution to it. This gives me an intentional way of, of, of tapping into that. And you know what happens at the end of, of every 30 days? You know, you know what I want to do? Um, well, you know what I don't want to do is I don't want to quit. I don't want to stop. I'm not like, finally, 30 days are over with. Yes. I'm like, I can't believe it. I got to find, you know, I need, what, what can I do now? I got to find another book. I got to find another, another something. 30 days will help us to remain or to become, however you want to look at it, a house of prayer and not something else. And so like I said, this is not, I, this is not a pep rally. I'm not trying to like get everybody on board or whatever. Like, I want you to participate in this if you feel you're supposed to participate in this. And I think that everybody needs to participate in it. That's just me. And so here's what, what we're going to do. I want the band to go ahead and come back up. We're going to, uh, we're going to sing a little bit, because that's usually what we do after the message time. I'm going to come up at the end and kind of explain how the 30 days is going to work. But I think, I think if, we can, um, if we, can maybe, we can maybe sing this 30 days into existence, I think that would be pretty cool. I wasn't planning on saying that, but I just did. Um, because... Because the 30 days of prayer, is, it's 30 days of very specific worship corporately. It's unlike any other time of, of year for us. And we have prayer before every Sunday in here from 515 to 545. This is, this is different. Um, if, if you want your life to be effective, pray that into existence. And I know because... Many of you are in covenant together. I know that we want this church to be effective in this city. This is going to help us to do that. This is going to keep us where we're supposed to be. And so I think um, this would be a great way to, uh, to begin the 30 days of prayer by singing and by worshiping and responding together. So let's stand up. I'm just going to give it to the band and let them do whatever the heck they want for a little bit. And then I'll come back up and explain things in a minute.